from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. First time you ever gambled, and do you feel like you ever had a, an addictive personality? So we're in Vegas or whatever, got competitive, end up staying out there five, six weeks. Next thing you know, I'm down a million dollars. People didn't know my story. People thought I gambled, my money away, party. And I did gamble, I did party, but that wasn't the reason I lost my fortune. My mom, she told me she still drives by the house. You know what I mean? But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Today on the show, we talk with a guy who had it all and then lost it all. All of it. Our guest today has been crowned an NBA champion with the Miami Heat and an NCAA champion with my Kentucky Wildcats. While in the league, he became a three-time All-Star and the guy who once responded to the question, why do you shoot so many threes? By saying, because there are no fours. Employee number eight, Antoine Walker. Charges. Antoine, thanks, bro. Thanks for coming on. Man, thanks for having me on the show, Rex. Uh, I've been knowing you for a long time. Uh, the first time I remember seeing you, and I don't know if you remember this, Antoine, but it, myself, Kenny Walker, and Jamal Mashburn were all back 
playing in the summer in Lexington. <laughs> and you came in, and you were really highly regarded. But we had never seen you before. We didn't know anything about you. And we're all playing in the NBA by now. And But we were over there to hoop at Memorial Coliseum. And you walked in the gym, and, uh, you know, because you had kind of been compared to Jamal Mashburn at the time. And we're, we're kind of checking you out, and you walked over to where we were. But we were talking about Glenn Robinson, big dog Glenn Robinson, had just declared for the draft. And you walked up to us, and you're 17 and fresh out of high school. And you heard that we were talking about big dog leaving school, and you said, Glenn Robinson left. He's he going to the NBA. And we said, yeah. And you just real matter of factly said, oh, so player of the year is wide open. <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't even played a college game. You hadn't played a second. We hadn't even played with you in the pickup game yet. I mean, where does that confidence come from, man? Man, you then was the days when um I was a skinny little kid, uh very cocky from the south side of Chicago. And it just came natural, man. That was like one of my biggest things that I think that helped me actually get to the NBA, but I was just a very confident individual. But why? It just that's the way I was. I, I come from a trash talking, you know, South Side kid. That's the way I grew up against the guys I played against. And it was just so much trash talking. So that's how we motivated each other. It was just a certain confidence and order that I had about myself when I came in there. Didn't know nothing, but um, got humbled real quickly. You know, <laughs> but it, it definitely was, uh, I was definitely a very confident individual. Tell me about your childhood. You're the oldest of six, uh, raised by a single mom. You know, tell me about that experience. Yeah, um, just like you said, I'm the oldest of six, raised by, you know, my mom, um, four boys, two girls. I had to grow up fast. My mother had me at a very young age, so I had to assume the responsibility of helping out a ton. Um, really raised by my grandmother, who was um, very uh, hard on me, a disciplinarian, um, focused on school. And people don't understand my upbringing is a little bit different. I'm probably one of the few kids that was in the inner city that actually went to um, Catholic private school. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and that and, and actually elementary and and high school. How did that happen? I don't know. Through the grace of God, my mom, for some odd reason, she felt like the Chicago public school system was not very good. I really could not afford to go to Catholic private school. Um, in elementary school, she figured it out and bit the bullet and got me through it. And then in high school, um, it was one of those situations where I got financial aid. Scholarship kind of thing. Well, yeah, but a funny story is that I graduated and everything, but obviously I got my transcripts, but I owed the school like seven, eight grand when I graduated. Really? <laughs> so I actually didn't get my physical diploma until I went pro. Wow. <laughs> Came back and wrote him a check. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm always very appreciative uh, to my mom and, and kind of sheltering me and not making me go to public school where it's more gang and drug related. So it was very difficult to get through, and she allowed me to be a kid and to play sports at a very, very high level. And and that probably saved me and, and gave me an opportunity to make it to the league. So I was very appreciative of that. And I know I jumped the story around, but the rest is history. That's the growing up in Chicago for me that led me to Kentucky. I talked to Rick about you recently, Coach P, and he, he told a story. He said, we asked him if any players ever really got to him, you know, uh, during practices or whatever. He said, no, nobody really. He said, Antoine, Antoine. He said, one time, uh, Antoine, 
He said he came over to me during practice, and we had a really good team, really deep team. And he said, Antoine came over to me and said, Coach, you better take him off me because I'm going to ruin his confidence. <laughs> he said it just made him start laughing. You know, and Rick is pretty serious during practice, right? Oh, no question. No question about it. Sims. So you win the title, and then you enter the draft uh, just after your sophomore year, 96 draft. You're drafted by the legendary Boston Celtics. What did that day mean to you? It meant everything. Um, And it's kind of weird. Through my draft process, I worked out from the second pick to the 11th pick. And these were some tough workouts, you know, um, things I'd never done before. And the Celtics was my easiest workout. It was crazy because I came in and I probably, you know, all these other workouts were two and a half hours, um, you know, doing all these drills and doing all this stuff. And I go into the Celtics, I'm on the court probably 30, 40 minutes. But the my meeting was, at this time, ML Carr was the head coach and gym, but the assistant coach was Dennis Johnson, Casey Jones. You had Maxwell, Tommy Heinsohn, JoJo White, Larry Bird was still a part of the team. Red Allback was around. I mean, this is the people that were in my my meeting. So I was overwhelmed. I mean, you know, growing up being a huge basketball, so I was overwhelmed. So I didn't really know that they really liked me like that. I didn't know how to take that because it, the, just the length of time that I was there. And they had a draft. Um, they moved up to six because they didn't feel like I was going to make it. Um, I kind of got a guarantee. My agent kind of was like, you're not going past New Jersey at eight. And they moved up. And, and took me, and I couldn't have been more um, prouder or excited about going to a story franchise um, like the Boston Celtics. And it was perfect for me because they were in the rebuilding stage. So I can be a part of the rebirth, and it gave me an opportunity to play a ton of minutes and be a part of something special. So I couldn't ask for a better situation um, coming out of school, and it just worked out perfectly for me. Um, couldn't, couldn't write the storybook no, no better than that. But being a part of that organization um, is second to none. I still, to this day, consider Boston my second home. I mean, to get drafted there, play eight years of my career there. Um, so I still consider that that uh, my second home. Yeah, I remember, you know, of course, I was in Phoenix when you came out. So I, I was playing against you guys. And you guys were. You, you were terrible right there at the, at the beginning. And we had a good team, you know, uh, out in Phoenix. But Tell me about those years in Boston. What were some of the highs and lows uh, that stand out for you? It, it wasn't easy in the beginning, as you said, uh, and even after Paul was drafted. What were those years like, Paul Pierce? Uh, they were tough because the expectations in, um, in Boston are a little different um, than some places. Um, it's a sports town. People there are very engaged into the team and, and everything that you have going on. So it was great for me as far as basketball because it forced me to work and, and want to win and learn how to win. The best thing that happened to me was Coach coming, I think, after the first year. Rick um, Made the all-star team. Yeah, Coach Patino coming over, making the all-star team, won them. Had a lot of success. Obviously, we didn't have a, a ton of team success. Um, Coach got a little impatient and kind of ran through our roster and didn't really give guys time to develop. We traded Chauncey Billups out the 41 I remember, games. I remember. Yeah, so <laughs> we didn't really get a chance to develop, but – um, the time of Boston was great because we were able to make a run, get back to being a playoff team, 
And then we made a we made a legitimate run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Didn't end the way I wanted to. Um, your guy that you played with, I don't know, did he coach you or you played with you? Was it was a both. Who? Danny Ainge. Danny, Danny. Danny Ainge. I played against Danny, and then he coached me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I figured that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Danny came in, and, and which was fine. He came in with a different agenda. You know how this is, Rex, and you, you've been in the front office of teams, and I wasn't his guy. Um, I wasn't a guy that he felt like he could continue to build around. So I was a little heartbroken to get traded because I felt like we were right at that time in the Eastern Conference. We were one or two best teams in the Eastern Conference, probably missing a traditional point guard to kind of get us over the hump. But um, he decided to go a different direction, and, and they did that. And I actually ended up coming back and being a part of another good team that we got upset in the first round of the playoffs against Indiana. I think Reggie Miller's last year, I think in 2005, I think it was. Danny, by the way, Danny Ainge love, really loves you. He, I talked to him about Danny. Danny said Antoine was a great player. He said he got on the wrong side of one of your favorite coaches, Dick Harder. Dick Harder coached me when I was in Charlotte, and rest in peace, Coach Harder, but I couldn't stand Dick Harder. I was a young player. None of <laughs> none of us could stand him. But it, it just so you know, that's what he said. I also want to read you something that Rick sent because uh, I I wanted to know from Rick what his uh, opinion of you was as a player. Uh-huh. And he said, Antoine, wow, extremely talented and really knew the game. People would be surprised with his basketball acumen. Highly competitive and loved the game. Also. Ask him about the game opener. We beat defending champ Chicago, and Jordan was yelling down the hall at him about him doing the shimmy dance. (laughs) You remember that? (laughs) What kind of Celtic team is this? Well, I think you have to look at it and say it's the youngest team in the last 10 years. They only average 2.3 years of experience. This team, Dick, will get better as the season goes on. And Hubie, with all of that, we still have Michael Jordan, two on two, Randy Brown controlling, and the Antoine Walker forces the turnover for Andre. Barrows, McCarty, Walker, they get it. Both into the basket, and a foul, and the Boston Celtics getting the turnover and a three-point opportunity. Rick Pitino, Celtics now lead it, 79-67. Antoine Walker with 29 points is the game's highest scorer. He has 10 more than Michael Jordan does in this game. My first game, and, and people don't, I mean, you got to understand, I'm from Chicago. So the first three championships, I was a fan. Right. Like, I'm like a huge fan. Michael retires, comes back, 96. I come in, I play against the next three championship teams. I mean, I, we went 1-11. So we opened up in 96 against, uh, <laughs> 98, I'm sorry, against the, uh, the Bulls. Got him the first game. <laughs> Scotty's sitting out for a contract situation. Right. Scotty's sitting out. We catch Michael. I think I had like 30. I had a huge night, opening <laughs> night. I'm shimmying. I'm dancing everywhere. And all you hear down the hall, I'm going to stop all that fucking dancing. I'm going to stop all that dancing. I'm going to stop all that dancing. That's all you hear Michael telling me that. <laughs> Lo and behold, we don't never beat him again. But I went 111 in, in three years against Michael. Um, that Bulls team was incredible. Incredible, man. <laughs> incredible. That's so great. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From 1996 to 2003, Antoine Walker was a bona fide star for Boston. He made the all-star team in 1998, 2002, and 2003. The Celtics had made the Eastern Conference Finals in 2002, but in 2003 they barely made the playoffs and were swept in round one. During the summer of 2003, Boston dealt Antoine to Dallas. The next offseason, he was traded to Atlanta. Midway through the 04-05 season, Boston realized it was time to bring Antoine home for the playoff run. It turned out to be the right decision. The Celtics got hot and earned the three seed in the East, but were upset by a Pacers team featuring Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal, and Reggie Miller. Antoine was up for free agency that summer, and his services were about to be far from free. Free agency market came. Danny wasn't willing to pay what I wanted on the market. We negotiated, went back and forth for a long time, and nothing could happen. And then the Miami Heat situation came. So when I get the call from Pat, and he's telling me, you know, he couldn't, the money wasn't going to be where I wanted to be and kind of breaks down the situation to me, uh, he said, if you can get Boston to do a sign and trade, take some money back. And you got to remember, the Miami Heat were coming off the Eastern Conference Championship against the Detroit Pistons. They had just, it was the first year with Shaq. 
Um, it was going to be the second year with Shaq, and they were championship trying to get to the championship. So I'm like, man, I would love to have this opportunity because I started looking at the roster. I'm like, I've never been on a championship contender. I've never played with a guy like Shaq and Alonzo Mourning and D-Wade. So this is, could be a great opportunity for me. Danny did not want to take any money back, which was a, no surprise. So I called the owner. I called Wick. I called Grossbeck, and I said, listen, I've done a lot for this organization. Um, you know, you guys do not want me. You're going to go in a different direction. You know, can you guys do a sign and trade and allow me to go continue my career? And they figured it out, and that's how 13 players got involved. So it got to be a lot of mumbo-jumbo, guys making 800000 It just started to be a lot of – so that's how the trade got so large because Boston really did not want to take any money back. You know, lo and behold, they get it done. Now we get another roadblock. Shaq was up. So Shaq could have took – he was grandfathered in. So Shaq could have took his bird rights three for 90. And at that time – $30 million a year was unheard, unheard of, of in yeah. the NBA, besides what Michael did. Mm-hmm. So, call Shaq, and you know, obviously, you know, I know Shaq. We're not best friends. Um, I said, hey, big fella, I want to come down and, and play with you and help you get this championship. You know, he had this thing with Kobe going on at the time that he wanted to get one by himself. And and he was like, look, Pat was like, get him to take five years for 100, and we can work it out. Shaq did it. Amazing. Um, Shaq took the five years, hundred, and you can look at the the paperwork. I signed it like a six year, fifty two million dollar deal. I had to sign a six year deal to make it work. And you know, six year deals were unheard of at that time. So I ended up taking signing a six year deal with them and and all that. And then we hit another roadblock. We get to the physical. They clear me. Then they come back and say, "Well, you got some arthritis. You may not be able to fulfill six years." So now the last two years. They don't want to guarantee the last two years. And we're in the 12th hour. Like, I got, like, six hours to make a decision. Or the deal is tore up. Everything goes back. And it was August. You know, you get 30 days into a free agency. Like, I'm like, yo. So I just signed the deal. Pap, you know, made some promises that, hey, if we win it all, we'll figure this thing out. Mickey's a great owner. And we went on with the deal. But everything went according to plan. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I talk about the team camaraderie with the Wildcats, but for the with the Heat was unbelievable. We had this thing 15 strong. And you know this Rex been in the league. It's very hard to find six, seven guys out to dinner. But we had that type of team. We were so close. We hung together. We partied together. And I always tell people about my time in Miami. I've never partied and played basketball like this in my life. But I was sold because we, we were talking about winning the championship. It was something I never did. He sold me on being the sixth man of the year, do some other things. So the first 20 games, I came off the bench. And we were 10 and 10. Shaq missed the first few games with injury. And Pat just, I wouldn't say he panicked, but he came down. He felt like he had to come down. He fired Stan, and my first meeting with Pat, he was like, you're starting. He was like, you're starting at the three. He said, you're our best passer. You're going to put, you know, throw it in the post. He said, I'm going to get you out early. And, you know, with the second unit, it'll be your time. But this first unit, I want you to spot up, get the ball in the big fella, and play off D-Wade and Shaq. But I play my money. And you know how Rouse is. He's like, and that's how it's going to go. If you're Miami, do you foul? Don't let him shoot a three. This is if smart now. Are you going to get fouled? Terry puts it up. Walko. Rebound Wade. The Miami Heat, they've done it. They win their first championship in franchise history. 
Well, you know, what happens next? Well, you know how uh, we eventually, you know, do this on charges. Uh, I shared my story about after my career, you know, addiction to painkillers, alcohol, gambling, uh, threw me down in a downward mm-hmm. spiral, you know, Twan. Uh, and I, I lost everything as well. Just a little history to my story. A lot of people think, you know, at that time I had a, a gambling situation that took place in Vegas. And you know this, Rex, one time, I'm, so I used to train in Vegas. At this point, I kind of transitioned. I used to train in Chicago. I transitioned from Tim Grover, and I used to go out to Vegas because um, they used to have a training facility, and I used to like the on-court stuff. So I would stay out there probably like five weeks, usually stay with a bunch of guys, Kevin Garnett, T. Lou, Chauncey Billups. This was kind of their training facility where they used to train at. So I used to go out there. It used to be like 30 or 40 pros. So we work out twice a day like any other time. But at night, we're in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So we're in Vegas or whatever. We'll go to the casino. All of us go to the casino, hang out, and do that. First time you ever gambled, and do you feel like you ever had a, an addictive personality? No, because I really didn't pick it up. I was like a 30, 40-minute. I like to hit and run. I wasn't a guy that would sit grind there it for out. hours. Yeah, I will just like try to get for hot. an hour and I'm Try done. to get hot, just yeah. like you did on the court. Yeah, I never was a guy that like, sit there for six, seven, eight, nine hours and just play. Um, so I would just say I was more like, let me just hit it, run, hit and run. And then I didn't really gamble heavy um, until I was like in Vegas. Vegas was my thing. Um, I would say it's addictive, yeah, because, you know, I'm competitive. So, you know what I mean? And um, I don't know if you did this, but, you know, once I filed bankruptcy, so my stuff went deep. I looked at, they went through and found, so I was I won $4 million and lost $4 million. So I don't know how you mathematically right, create right. that. Because yeah. you know you know how it is. You can, you know what I mean? I still have tax issues from my stuff, I'm telling you. Listen, Vegas All-Star Weekend, Rex, I won 800000 I didn't lose a bet All-Star Weekend in Vegas in 2007. But then the following year, I come back and lose that million. Yeah, that's how it, so it, was how it happens. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I would, I would, of course, I, I would say it, it plays a part, but it's kind of hard to, you know, it's just different timings on how it goes. But it was actually crazy to get those numbers when they did the audits and they had to go through the books because, you know, Vegas, obviously, you know, Vegas got you a play down to they the know. Yeah, to the penny. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to the penny. When you're an active or retired world-famous athlete with millions of dollars in the bank in a city such as Las Vegas, the world and blackjack table can be your buffet. Problem is, and I know from experience, the house always wins. That's why these casinos are willing to give out six-figure markers, AKA IOUs to high rollers because they damn well know you will owe them in the end. So this particular summer, was a bad summer. I ended up, got competitive, ended up staying out there five, six weeks. Next thing you know, I'm down a million dollars. When you say you got competitive, you're saying you started chasing it. You started chasing yeah. the losses. So, you know, right. I was all, yeah, I looked look down 100, down 100, go get another marker for 100. You know, I'm a big player at Caesar, so my credit line is a half a million, and I probably can get up to 750. So I'm playing every day, whatever. And, you know, by the time I leave for the trip, I owe a million dollars. I'm pissed at myself, and... I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with the markers. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to pay them back their money. And end up bumping into a guy out there that I had been knowing. And he was like, listen, Twan, you probably can get it off the books for 600000 You know, say yourself four hundred, 
but you're going to have to get up your credit line and all that stuff. So I went to the casino, said, listen, I'm looking for a payment plan. I'm trying to, you know, go back out of this. And the casino was fine um, at that time, but they tried to handcuff me. They wanted me to pay 100 grand a month. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So it just got a little out of hand. So we get into negotiation. We're just going to let the court system figure it out and the whole thing. So in the process, I tell that story to say, in the process of me dealing with that one situation in Vegas, you know after 45 days legally they can go and issue a warrant. And at this time, I'm playing in the Centurion Classic, which is hosted by Caesars. This is the tournament that everybody got to see Charles Barkley's mm-hmm. horrible yep. swing. This I've been is there. The I used to play in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I'm, this is my fourth, fifth year I'm planning it. So I go out there that particular year and get off the plane. I get a phone call from my mom, and she's like, you all over the news. You owe Vegas this money. They got a warrant for your arrest. I said, well, I'm in Nevada. I say, ain't nobody here. Nobody's bothered me. And nobody came up to me. No police came up to me. Called my lawyer, figured out what was going on. So my lawyer tells me, hey, listen, you got any money to make a payment? I'm like, yeah, I got some money to make a payment. He was like, look, enjoy your trip. Um, but when you leave there, you leave Tahoe, fly to Vegas, and we're going to make a payment, and then we'll get this thing squared away. I'm like, all right, no problem. So I took the public embarrassment for two days, and people looking at me crazy, and, like, they thought I was arrested. And then my second day at night, I'm at the bar. So I can't gamble, so now I'm just in party mode, golf party mode. And the police come up to me and was like, hey, look, we got to take you in. We got a warrant for your arrest. I'm like, what? Say we're going to deal with that, and I'm trying to figure it out. But it's like 3 in the morning, and I'm probably like 10 vodkas in. And I'm like, okay. So I go to the jail, and the police officer's department was great. They didn't arrest me. They's like, listen, we know it's late. Get in touch with your people in the morning. You know, you got to make something happen, or we're going to have to arrest you. So we figured this whole thing out and end up making the payment there on the spot. So I give them 135000 had it wired over to them. They let me out. So I never did any jail time. And those just a few hours there waiting to, to get this money to get over to them. Take care of that situation. But in the process of me going through that, the real estate market had crashed. Mm-hmm. People that know and that were in that field in 2007, 8, 9, we went through a recession. But part of the biggest part of my portfolio was in real estate. Pretty much like 60% of my money was in real estate. I owned 150 properties in the city of Chicago. I was well endowed in commercial, uh, rehab, rental, you name it, I was involved. Um, I had a business partner that was uh, running it on a day-to-day basis. Um, ended up having his own legal troubles and never told me. And I did what you know some of us athletes do sometimes. We trust the wrong people. Though he hasn't played an NBA game since 2008, Walker is still spending plenty of time around courts. Lenders have filed foreclosure actions against at least 14 of his investment properties, which include houses, condos, and apartment complexes. He entrusted a man named Fred Billings to run his portfolio of properties. Under Billings' stewardship, mortgages were not paid, buildings were not repaired, and many became uninhabitable. Billings is out on bond after being arrested for running a mortgage scam. He faces felony charges of fraud, forgery, and theft. Walker already owes the city of Chicago nearly a million dollars in court-ordered fines for running his buildings into the ground. How much of 
your finances were you aware of? Because I, I knew I had money, but other people were handling it. How involved were you? I was involved enough where I knew where I was at financially. When was the first time you felt rich? Probably when I was 99. Okay. Um, when I signed my max deal. Okay, but not um, till then. Didn't have any money before that. Yep. Not till then, no. Because I knew I had $71 million I was going to make over the next you know, five, six years. But that was probably the first time. And the only reason I say that, I think, and then just a little small education to what, and that's a great question that you asked me. When I came in the league, I was a six pick. Um, I signed a three year, $5.5 million contract. First year, I made one six. Second year, one eight. The third year, 2.1. People don't understand after taxes living in Boston, you do. <laughs> um, but most people don't understand. I bought my mom a half a million dollar home. I bought me a condo for like two fifty, three hundred thousand. You got to furnish it, couple cars. I'm the oldest. I'm taking care of things. So after my first year, technically, I'm in debt. Like the first thing that, that shocked me was taxes. I'm with you. I had no financial intelligence uh, or background at all. Yeah. So it, it just was the process for me, and it took a while for me to, to get a hang of it. And the first couple of years were rocky because obviously I wasn't making that much. And I want to do so much for family and friends and, and take everybody on this journey, this ride of being in the league. And, you know, and fortunate enough, you know, in my third year, I was able to sign a max contract and able to do some of the things I wanted to do, build my mom a home from the ground up, and just a lot of things that I had promised that I wanted to do once I was able to make it to the league. So those things were there. And I'll be the first. I, I lived a very expensive lifestyle, very materialistic. I used to have, at points, eight, nine cars at one time, um, a lot of jewelry. I was a watch guy. Um, I was really into watches. At that time, when I came in the league, Rex, and you know that, we had little dress codes, and you know what I mean? So clothes. we had to put clothes on. Yes. So we Custom had to buy suits. suits. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I remember my first year in Boston, we had to wear suits on the plane. We, can't, we didn't have to wear a tie, but you had to have a suit coat on. So I ended up spending a ton of money on clothes with different clothes designers. And so I had some fetishes of my own. Um, besides, my family had two kids. I was not married. So obviously, that was automatic child support. So you got that, and then I had an entourage. You know, I, I would travel with seven, eight guys, but not guys that I picked up off the street. These are guys that were in the ground with me every day that, that I grew up with, and, and I, I took them on this ride with me. And you're basically, you're footing the bill, though, right? You're footing most yeah, of the bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, taking care of them and helping them out and, and in different situations. So I had a pretty, you know, expensive group that, you know, that I was doing. Explain, explain, Antoine, if you wouldn't mind, explain to listeners, you know, what it's like being a multimillionaire and a professional athlete who, and you're an all-star, you know, at the height of your NBA popularity, what it's, can you explain to people what that's like? Did you ever physically see the money you had amassed in the bank or did it feel kind of like funny money to you? Well, you, you know, you can get anything you wanted. You basically, and, and that's the one thing that I tell you, you set your lifestyle up. What's that like going from having nothing, you know, you're at Kentucky, you know, you're a kid from Chicago, to overnight, literally overnight, having everything? What is that like? I know a little bit, but what's it like? What was it like for you? For me, it was um, the best thing that could ever happen. I mean, and people don't understand it until you actually understand what financial situation you're going through. To see my mom struggling 
to see me not be able to, you know, pay to get my diploma, um, to see my mom on, on welfare. And, and you, you see those things. We moved six, seven times, just all those things. And then to finally make it and to put stability there. I always tell them the biggest thing is my little brother. Now everybody has their own room. You don't have to share bedrooms. Everybody got their own bed. You know, you get a house for six bedrooms now. Um, it's different. I mean, it's a different feeling, and it, and it makes you feel special as a player. Um, it's something that you dream about to be able to take care of your family, and you roll with it. You don't think about the end. All you think about is living in that moment and now, and you we create and build these lifestyles that we think can, that will never end. And that's the way I roll. And in the process of doing that, um, obviously I was doing stocks and bonds and had my financial guy doing that. But I got seven years in, I wanted to do something else. The real estate markets were really good at the time. So for four years, I was heavily involved, making good money in the real estate market, trying to establish myself as a, a businessman off the court and trusted in someone else. And we all as athletes and, or sometimes does this and trusting people that we shouldn't have. And no, nobody to blame for that but myself. But trust someone, he end up going through some personal problems of his own and end up actually doing real jail time at the time that I was going through my process. So in, in the process of me trying to figure out what's going on with my money and what financial position I'm going to be in, the person who had the answers to that was on his way to jail and actually did five years. In direct, the one thing that bothered me the most about my story was that um, people never, ever give you an opportunity to explain. So when the Vegas situation hits national TV, and then on the flip side, they're hearing, oh, you have a financial troubles, they equate that immediately to gambling. I'm not saying I didn't like the gambling. I wasn't an aggressive gambler, but it never put me in the financial strain. And I told a little story earlier where I was telling you about that one time. That was the one time where it got out of control for me. Where I got really competitive. Any other time, Rex, it would be one of those situations. Not saying it's peanuts, it would be a, a twenty or thirty thousand dollar loss. So that was for me that that wasn't the reason for me filing bankruptcy. So when I went through this whole bankruptcy process, and obviously this is my first time going through it, and I looked at it, and I'm like, okay, I got the biggest firm I could find in Florida. At this time, I'm a Florida resident. If anybody know anything about bankruptcy, Florida is the best place to file bankruptcy. Um, or it's one of the best places. I wouldn't say it's the best place. And we just went through everything. And at this time, and you asked me this question, I thought I was going to play for four or five more years. Mm -hmm. I really thought, and when I made that decision to file bankruptcy and take Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which was going to get me debt-free, I decided to, I said, listen, you know what? I can go debt-free. So I had about with assets and liquid cash, I probably was sitting on about $20 million. But I owe $20 million, maybe a little bit over that. And I was like, you know what? They gave me a couple different options. And they was like, look, if you're going to play and you think you can play four or five years, you should go debt-free. And then if you make you another four or five million, you know, I think the league minimum at that time had been pushed up to at least a mil. So I was like, at worst case scenario, I'll be playing for the league minimum. Right. And um, I chased it, man. I, I worked my, my butt off, and it's a funny story. So I called Coach Patino. I said, Coach, I need to get in shape. So I've been sitting around um, down, and he told me to come to Louisville. So Nas had a place down there. or oh, he got me an apartment. I think he got me an apartment. 
and left me one of his cars. He's like, you don't even got to drive. Just bring one of your cars. So he left me a car, and for six months, I stayed in Louisville. I didn't budge. I stayed in Louisville. Lost 30 pounds. I was so happy. Coach took a personal approach um, and stayed there with me, worked me out majority of the time. Um, he was going through something with his situation uh, with his wife and, you know, the infidelity that he had going on. So we were, you know, I was going through my thing. So we really bonded and got to the best shape that I can get into at this time. I'm, I think I'm like 31, 32. I knocked off 30 pounds. Um, so I went to Charlotte. Obviously, you've heard the stories of me and Michael having a relationship and everything. Um, Larry Brown was the head coach up there. Nazi was on the team. And it was the summertime workout, like September. Guys are getting ready for camp. He was like, man, just come up here, play with us for two weeks, train with us. So I stay up there two weeks, playing hard. Larry Brown's there every day. He's he's actually coaching the, the pickup games. Right, of course he is. <laughs> you know, it's actually like, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's like coaching the pickup games. Anyway, I think I play great. So all I want at this time, Rex, all I'm looking for is an opportunity. Let me go to training camp. Let me play in three, four preseason games. Let me show people I'm in shape. Let me just, you know, get out there. That day came, called Michael, called Larry. Michael tells me that Larry wanted to go with, Darius Miles was down there. He wanted to go with a younger Darius Miles, and that crushed me. That, like, took the zap out of me. Like, it crushed me, um, that I, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't get in somebody's training camp, that I couldn't even get an invite to be one of the 20 guys, even if I got cut, you know, a weekend. I just, it was a black cloud that had been tanked. It was it was a situation where I felt like um, people didn't know my story. People thought I was, you know, I gambled my money away, uh, party, and I did gamble, I did party, but that wasn't the reason I lost my fortunes. And, and besides asking me and really figuring it out, they went with that and it created a black cloud over my head. That's what I think. Do I know that for sure? Obviously, no. I'm not behind in these front offices and closed doors. And it, it came up that it was over with. I was like, you know what, Twan, is over. I'm not going to get a call up. Nothing's going to happen for me basketball-wise. It's time to try to figure this thing out and do something else. I wasn't committed to standing in the, the shape that was going to be needed to play at the professional level. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and call it. And, and that's what I did. For professional athletes, competition is king on and off the clock, even when it's all over. Antoine's career earnings were $110 million. Antoine has always had a big personality, but as you can tell, an even bigger heart for those he loves. They say father time is undefeated, but for some athletes who make waves, even if they have more wind in their sails, front offices league-wide can put them out to sea into open waters. When did you know I'm in trouble, you know, when it came to money? When did you know, and how long was it before the rest of the world started to find out? Um, for me, um, after meeting with um, the bankruptcy people and telling me what I would have to do and breaking down my situation, um, I knew I was going to be in trouble. But I'm going to go back to it. I always thought, Rex, I was going to play more. I never thought that I was not going to get back on the basketball court. I never thought that, and that probably was the biggest thing. If I would have took that approach, 
I probably could have did a few things. Probably still had to file bankruptcy, but what year was this, Tuan? What year was that? Two thousand ten. Okay. So it just was one of those things where I had to really when I evaluated and thought about it, I was like, okay, I'm gonna play again. I have an opportunity to put some money up. Um everything was out my system at this time. I was humbled. Um, you know, I had to, because after my gambling situation, part of my deal was that I don't gamble in casinos no more. You know, so that was part of uh, my deal. So I, all that stuff was like out my system. I was moving forward in a different direction. So I'm like, yeah, if I can go steal me three, four more years. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I'll yeah, be okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's such a hard feeling because, and I was way too old to go back and play. That was, you know, mm-hmm. part of it. You know, I was like, but I can, I can understand. You were still a young man at that point, Tuan. Yeah, so I'm thinking like, you know, I'm going to get there, play me a few more. Hey, cut down a little bit on my lifestyle. When I went through the bankruptcy, I was able to get rid of some things and move some things around. And, and a lot of people don't understand when you file bankruptcy, you can keep everything if you really, if you can figure out a way to pay it. You know what I mean? And people don't understand that. Your creditors are usually like, okay, you filed bankruptcy, can you still pay this car note? <laughs> you know? You know, so people don't understand. It's like, it's like having a house. Can you still pay this mortgage? No, they're not going to take, you don't have to move out your house, but can you pay for the upkeep of this place and can you pay the taxes and all that stuff? So that was all the process and and going through that at that time. Antoine, as a dad, you know, I want to ask you something. Uh, Someone who's been to jail for stealing in an Apple store to pay for my habits. I understand shame. Um, You know, when stories came out, that you owe this money, child support, and your daughter can't go to school, the school that she's been going to since she was little because you can't afford the tuition, a guy who's made over $100 million in 10 years. Is that the lowest point in your life? And if not, what was, and how did you deal with that, Antoine? It was very disappointing. It was one of the low points because I had did so much financially for my daughter um, prior to that. And it was a bad relationship between me and her mom. Um, that drove her to that. And sometimes people um, don't get it. And I think at that time she didn't get it. She was very content in getting that money every month. And now the denomination changes. And now you're not going to get that. And it's the blame game. And it, it became that point. And it did become very serious. And I had to go talk to the school. My daughter had been in private school her whole life. And it wasn't the fact that I told them to move. I told the school, I said, listen, um, part of my child support agreement is to pay for her to go to the school. I can't afford to pay to her to go to school. And, you know, we're going to try to figure out something different. Um, wasn't that. And my daughter was very smart. And there still was a bunch of other good schools that she could go to. But that is a disappointing thing because you do want your kids to go to the best school possible. But um, I was more disappointed that me and my baby mother at the time couldn't figure this out. And we took it public. The lowest point of my life was um, I built my mom a home from the ground up. It's four million dollars, um, fifteen thousand square feet, um, indoor pool. I think it was twelve, thirteen bedrooms. And when I filed my bankruptcy, I had an option to keep any home I wanted. I was going to be able to afford to pay one mortgage. And my mom told me to keep my place and told me to let hers go. And I was like, no, I'll just live with you. And she said, no. She said, you work too hard. You don't need to live with me. She said, we'll downsize. 
And that probably was the lowest point because that was my my dream to build her a home from the ground up. And I let her sit with the architect. I had nothing to do with none of the designs. I just opened the checkbook and get her what she want. And that was one of my proudest moments of my life. And when it came down to bankruptcy and the upkeep, and you can imagine the upkeep on a 15,000 square foot home, the taxes, the mortgage, and she just was like, let it go. That's a mother's love. And it's crazy. And I shared a story that's a real more current story. And, you know, sometimes you don't talk to your mom and, and everything has been great. I mean, she's in great spirits. But during the pandemic, you know, some emotions hit. She was down a little bit and she hurt me because she told me she still drives by that house. Oh, you know what oh, I mean? Tawn. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. You know, you know, no, not in the sense that that, not the fact that she hurt me personally, but I'm just saying that feeling comes up again. I know. I know. How do you take care of your mental health? You know what? I've been very fortunate. A couple people looked out and you probably never saw it. I, I filmed a documentary. Mm -hmm. I know about it. Yeah, I filmed a documentary and I think... I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
that was the the best thing for me. And you know what was great about the documentary is I had my family and friends and people that had been in my circle and just to see them. I wasn't in the interviews, but to see the interviews, to see how they feel about you, to see what they think. And, to hear them. and I'm not for sure if you know, um, but this was my first year. I got an opportunity to do all the financial literacy for the league. That's great, Antoine. That was my goal, my dream, to be able to turn um, a negative story into a positive story or to be kind of a learning tool for these young guys. And the opportunity presented itself. And I, we had did 26 of the 30 teams prior to the world shutting down. Um, but I ain't going to lie to you, Rex. That was like the best thing for me, to be one back in front of my peers, talking, sharing my story with the guys, um, having that interaction again, being around the guys. I mean, traveling to all the cities. Like, I felt like I was back a part of it. I, I mean, I'm saying I felt like I was back a part of it. And we also, um, during the pandemic, we did the Zoom. So we, we kept it going. Um, I was a big part of that. And I was brought in by the Players Association. And that's what made it even more special. I'm with you, man. I was very similar, you know, because I do a lot of the drug stuff. And James Jones, you know James, you played against James. Uh, he's GM of the Suns now. A couple years ago, we were talking, and I had, you know, been through some, you know, real troubles and kind of was felt like I was toxic. People didn't want to, you know, have much to do with me. And, and I started doing NBA TV again, and I started doing Kentucky basketball again, and I, I saw all these people that were welcoming me back in. And he turned to me one time and he said, look, he said, you're smiling again. I said, yeah. He said, you got basketball back. And isn't that something, you know, all those times, you know, and you said it, you, you know, you're traveling to the NBA cities and you're seeing familiar faces. And a lot of the stuff that we took for granted as players, we get a chance to make up for now. And, you know, we all set out to be Grant Hill and Ray Allen, who just scale through and they they're just all American guys and they're mentally put together but a lot of us you know struggle you know given everything and 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 all of that so I'm just proud of you looking back on all of it Tuan uh what do you wish you could have or would have done differently I think I you know it's hard to say what one particular thing I think um you know I kind of break it down in categories when you think about financially but I think I'm still going to take care of my mom I think I'm still going to take care of my brothers and sisters the family piece and friends of the extended family and friends. Um, I think I will have more accountability um, for them. I think I would want them to have more, hold them more accountable. Um, I wouldn't just probably let loose cash go out the door as easy as I did. And I would say this, Rex, there's one thing and for me and for most athletes and where we all make a mistake, we don't think about um, retiring. We just don't think about 35 or 40 years old. That's right. And it's like when you came, I came in 19, I'm playing and I'm I'm getting up and down and I'm making money. I'm not thinking about 35. I'm not thinking about 40 that's going in. You know what I mean? All I'm thinking about, these checks rolling in, I'm playing, I'm in the best shape of my life, I'm having the most fun in my life. You're not thinking about that. And that's why I try to humble guys that and let them understand I was a year and a half removed from the game before it hit rock bottom for me. You got to know that what you're doing is really powerful. It's really powerful, and it's going to help. It's going you're going to you're going to keep a guy or two or ten or twenty or a hundred from you know going down the road that that you have. Because Antoine, it's powerful. You're an NBA All Star. You're champion in college and the pros. 
people are going to listen to your story. So sharing it is way powerful, man. I'm more proud of you over this than I am over all the basketball stuff. And one thing I think you understand is too, Rex, from going through your trials and tribulations, one thing about it, it's not you. It's a part of your story. Um, You know, it's more good than bad. It's a part of your life that obviously you wish you could take back. But if you let it tear you down, it, it can lead you to a really, really dark place that you may not be able to recover from. But if you have some therapeutic situations to help you talk about it, to help you, you know, so that's what's been good for me. I've been had, I've had numerous opportunities over the last four or five years of my life to be able to talk about it, speak about it. And to be honest with you, it's not enjoyable. You know, I have to get my mindset, and I, I don't know what you have to go through before, but you get tired of asking those questions. You get tired of asking, oh, why? Or why did you do this? Or, you know, and, but being able to be in front of my peers this past year and to be with guys that, you know, I sat in that room, I was on there, um, was great. To be able to get those guys to communicate, to talk to me, to ask me questions, um, to know, know what not to do, what to do, that's what feels good. You're giving back, man. And you're right, though. It wears me out. Some days I'm, I know I'm supposed to go give a speech and I'm like, I do not want to talk about the worst fucking day of my life again today. And so but then I get there and then I start seeing people and they're really into it and they're taking away something. And I think, well, it would be awful selfish of me to not share it. Right. That's exactly how I was. I think all those things are, are therapeutic and getting you through it. But to be honest with you, I mean, I'm be 45, Rex. I, I feel like it's a part of my life. You know, would I love to be in half of my financial position that I was in? Of course. Well, who wouldn't want to be? But a lot of headaches are going too. That's right. That's right. And you're still a young man, Tuan. You're still a young man. What's next for you? I would love to continue the, the progress in TV, but I'm now starting to think about um, maybe want to be with a team. If you've done that before, mm-hmm. maybe in the front office, scouting, um, I want to stay a part of the game. You'll be great at it. I'm actually in the process of just figuring out, because I never went down that path, whether it was trying to coach or scouting. I've never really really put a wholehearted effort into it. But maybe just trying to reach out now, trying to see if I can get on with somebody, maybe start off scouting um, of some sort. I do love TV. Um, but you know, like I know about TV, it's a million of us yep. that are, um, you know, ex-players in the field. It's not a lot of turnover in the job. You know, they're kind of using the same people. So I don't know if anything will open up in that in that spectrum. But Fox has been great to me. I'm already going into my fourth year with them. And, I mean, they still give me a piece. And, you know, I'm still getting a couple days a week and getting the opportunity to talk the game. So I do enjoy that. I just want to stay in sports, man. That's what I love to do. There's a place for you. Hey, let me switch this up. Last thing real quick. In a lot of ways, you were ahead of your time as a player. I mean, you were. You were 6'10", 6'9". Oh, yeah. I should be making $300 million right now. All right. right? Yeah, that's what I'm getting (laughs) to. So uh, you're ahead of your time. When you watch the game today, what do you see? And how do you think you'd fit in? I remember when I used to get criticized for shooting threes. Yeah, oh, yeah. And now, guys, now teams are shooting 40, 50. Um, <laughs> no, that's that the average attempts a game. It's amazing. I mean, so I feel like I helped transition the game a little bit into that. So I always look at that. And 
No, in my prime, probably, yeah, I'd probably make it $300 million you right now. You would be making be $300 million, this. and you would save it this time. I know, right? But there's big things on the horizon for you, Antoine. Bro, listen, thanks so much for joining me on Charges today, being All so right. open and honest about this journey. You know, you're a person who brought so much joy to millions of fans around the world when you played. You stood tall, and then your story took a turn. You truly are an inspiration, Antoine. You're a true testament to how overcoming things are possible. And uh, I want you to know, man. My door is always open to you. I'm excited for the next chapter in your life. Thanks for having me on the show, brother. For more of your favorite former NBA and WNBA players, check out the NBRPA's Legends Media and Entertainment's digital series and podcasts, Legends Live with Trill Withers, every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central, and the Hoop Du Jour with Peter Vesey podcast. You can follow all Legends media and entertainment content on social media at NBA Alumni on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch. On Facebook at NBA Alumni or at legendsofbasketball.com. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.